This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Flurry Hill Comb. A fantastic introduction to your book, but our computers didn't want to didn't want to cooperate. Author of President the Presidents and UFOs, which would be in the description and in the top comment and in the thumbnail. It's a fantastic book about UFOlogy, and it forces the reader to take it on a scientific to approach it and address it for its scientific merit, not to be dismissed in the psyops that they use throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which is real. It is declassified, make people feel silly for bringing up UFOs. Your book brings it up on a scientific level using radar returns um interviews with military officials quotes from sitting u.s presidents and it forces the individual to address the indisputable fact that there are unidentified flying objects in our atmosphere what are those are those physical phenomena is that some f- new thing like a lightning storm or an aurora borealis or is it an alien civilization contacting us who knows but the indisputable fact is that these things are in our atmosphere and they are recurring and they have been for all of human history. But with that, Mr. Holcomb, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm uh, Larry Holcomb, the author of uh, The Presidents and UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama. Um, and I... Uh, Appreciate all the kind words, Tommy, uh, and uh, I hope that everybody enjoys the book as much as you seem to uh, have. I've been at this since, well, I've been messing around in the uh, field of flying saucers and later UFOs since uh, about 1960, um, and uh, I got really into it, writing and studying and researching the subject uh, after I took early retirement. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting subject. It is a scientific subject. Uh, and as such, I've always treated it that way. Um, because I'm skeptical of some wild, off-the-wall claims that mm-hmm. some people make. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, I am convinced that we are dealing with an extraterrestrial race or races, and I think it could be a number of different ones. Sure. Um, the you have to you have to be a skeptic to be a true researcher you just can't take things at face value you 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 have to dig behind the scenes um and uh come up with uh the uh most logical uh scenario the most logical explanation for each event uh, so that's what I've pretty much uh, worked on uh, after I 
after I took early retirement and started doing research. Spent a lot of time in presidential libraries. Um, uh, found them uh, quite enjoyable and accommodating. Uh, I was really worried when I started doing that, going to presidential libraries, that I would be frowned upon uh, as some sort of kook. Um, the opposite was true. I was treated very, very well in all the libraries. When I told them that I wanted to, uh, to research the presidents and their involvement with the UFO question, uh, there was no hesitation on their part. They guided me to the proper um, subject or boxes or classification. Um, they brought them out to me, uh, boxes of files on a, a cart. And uh, I could go through each file. I had to keep them in order. There was, they were very meticulous about that. I could not bring anything into uh, the archives uh, except my cell phone, which I used to photograph documents rather than I could have had them Xerox there. Uh, but I could photograph some craft myself, which was uh, uh, no problem. And uh, so it's uh, that was a very nice experience. That seems to be one area of the government that works pretty well. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I'm glad I can say that because yeah. it was a very nice experience. Yeah. So that's about... Uh, uh, short synopsis of my background. Yeah, and I know we had, uh, so for everyone listening, Mr. Holcomb's been on twice, and we have dived deep into the rabbit hole of UFOs, and um, I believe it was your idea. I don't want to take credit for it, because it's a great idea. And if it's a great idea, I don't think it can be mine. I think it must be yours. But it was to go through, it would be like, what if we did a number of episodes, and we just went through and kind of tackled these case by case because there are so many good ones. And if, you know, if we try to approach this with the, the nightly news approach, you know, here's a case in 1986 and here's a case in 44. And you give a little 30 second snippet on each that doesn't do it justice. And because this is my podcast and we can spend all the time in the world we want, why not go into each one slowly and meticulously and just explain what it is and you know why the rationale is and it probably is a unidentified flying object and um yeah so that's that's what we planned on doing for this one but i do i'm i'm sidetracking now i do want to ask you about the presidential libraries but before i forget what we are going to go in today is about a, a ufo interacting with a test uh test dummy icbm shot from vandenberg air force base as well as shutting down nuclear missile silos at uh minot um, my I guess my not missile missile, a, a series That's, of nuclear it, missile silos. It's Maelstrom. 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 Why did I think? Why did I think my not? Uh, Maelstrom. But before we jump into those, the presidential libraries. How come you're not allowed to bring anything in? Oh well, because they're afraid you'll take something out. Oh, okay. And if you fair enough, you uh. If you bring anything in, you could slip a page or okay. two 
in that, okay. uh, like uh, your briefcase, sure. for instance. Okay. So they're very careful about that. But they do let you bring. Uh -huh. in, but they, but they're fine with you coming in and, and taking pictures, or they'll Xerox it for you. Well, okay, okay. So there's not like a limitation on like you can't bring anything out in that like you can get the information out. Well, you if you make copies. That's what I mean. Yeah. You can bring those out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can bring the the copies that you photographed. Yeah. And paid them for. Yeah. Yeah. You can bring you can bring those out. Okay. Well, but you can't physically take any of the documents out of that room. Sure. In fact, sure. I don't think they'd like to see you get up and walk around with any. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't. Because once those are lost, those are lost forever. But um, so my favorite uh, aspect of the UFO issue is their uh, apparent interest and interaction with. I would say first the United States and then on a global level, but with uh, nuclear energy and nuclear weapons, and it 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 makes sense that if you because I mean you there does have to be you do have to embrace some some uh, extraordinary ideas in order to uh, entertain in a, this extraordinary phenomena, but. It would be, of course, they're interested in, in our nuclear weapons, not because it's something that they don't have, but rather it's almost like a hands-off parenting approach. They're letting us discover ourselves as a, as a species, but we are at that crossroads where we have thermonuclear weapons, and it's maybe they view life as like a precious thing, and it's they don't want us to destroy ourselves. We can go through the growing pains on our own, like they'll let genocide happen, they'll let war happen, because that's part of our species quote-unquote growing pains but there does seem to be interest in that they don't want us to completely die and that they will interact with us uh or are interested in our nuclear weapons and nuclear facilities and then a second aspect of that is we are allowed to have our growing pains on earth we are not to bring for lack of a better we are not to bring that that bullshit out into into the greater universe it is you know we are we are a uh, we are a bunch of siblings arguing with each other, and that's all right. But don't leave your room. Don't bring that downstairs and ruin dinner for the rest of us, right? And that's what it seems like. So, with that, can you give the listeners a recap of whichever one you want to start with, Vandenberg AFB or Maelstrom AFB? Well, we can talk about Vandenberg first. Sure. Um, um, because uh, that's a very well, both of these are very yeah. interesting cases. <laughs> yeah, but um, it does indicate in both of these cases you mentioned indicates that whatever is out there has a great interest in our nuclear capabilities and uh, the direction we're going with. Uh, not only nuclear weapons, uh, but nuclear power, um, uh, nuclear power plants. They've been seen circling over nuclear power plants. So th there, there's definitely an interest. Uh, these things have uh, have come to and and looked at carefully. Uh, our nuclear facilities. Now, as far as Vandenberg Air Force Base, 
Uh, this was back. Uh, I'm uh, I'm forgetting the exact date, but I think it was in the late '60s, early '70s. Yeah. Um, that uh, 64. Dr. Robert Jacobs or Robert Jacobs, he wasn't doctor at that time, but uh, he is now. Uh, was a photo uh, in in photography. Uh, I forget his exact. Uh, title, but he was in photography at Vandenberg Air Force Base. He was in charge of of optics yeah. and uh, photography there. He was yeah. a lieutenant and uh, in charge of this, his field group. Now, <clears throat> what they were doing at Vandenberg at the time is testing uh, multi-stage ICBMs. And the how they were recording the ICBM was from a, a camera, uh, a long-range camera, that uh, they had there near the launch site. But the problem was they weren't able to see the uh, staging of the rockets as they, as they went up, or they weren't able to see it clearly. Mm-hmm. So Jacobs decided that he'd take his crew from Vandenberg uh, uh, up to the Big Sur area uh, of uh, uh, California and set up his photographic equipment there so that they could get a side-on view of the the launch and they could see the staging of the rocket butter. So uh, Jacob said, uh, we went up, set up at Vandenberg, we had uh, communications back to, I mean, we set up at Big Sur and had communications back to Vandenberg. Um, and we heard the rocket ignite. We knew it was on the way. Um, I, he said, I saw it pop through the overcast. They have always, California, they have uh, uh, overcast uh, uh, that rolls in. Uh, the uh, but anyway, he saw the rocket pop through the, the the marine layer is what it's called, and he yelled to his guys that he had it and they locked on to it, and they filmed it. They watched first stage, second stage, third stage, uh, perfectly. They uh, deployed perfectly, and then the uh, warhead. Now, the warhead was a dummy warhead. It wasn't a nuclear warhead, but it was the same size, type. It looked like a. it was a nuclear warhead. It just was a dummy. So they watched that and kept on filming, I guess, until it was out of sight. Packed up the film and sent it by courier back to Vandenberg. So they all, and then they packed up their equipment and they headed on back. The next day, his superior, uh, Major Florence uh, Mansman, called him to his office. And when he got there, there were two guys in the office uh, with Mansman. And uh, they weren't just in business suits, civilians. And uh, they had a projector set up. 
uh, and Major Mansman said, uh, uh, Bob, watch this uh, film carefully. And he started running the film. And Bob watched it and he said, Major, that's, that's really great, isn't it? That's uh, really worked good. We've got all the staging. There's a warhead now, the dummy warhead. We, that's, that's, I'm really proud of that photography. And he said, Mansman said, just keep watching. And all of a sudden, over to the side comes in an object. Now, keep in mind, this missile is going like 18,000 miles yeah. an hour or something. Yeah, 60 miles up. Uh, yeah. And this object flies in to the warhead now. Of course, the, the, uh, the rocket is staged, and so all you got flying is warhead. And it flies into beside the, the uh, warhead and shoots a beam of light, like a laser at it. Then it flies up to the upper side of it, shoots another beam of light, comes around to the other side of the object, shoots another beam of light, then finally drops on down, shoots another beam of light, and all of a sudden the warhead goes out of control, starts tumbling and just crashes back into the ocean somewhere, and the object takes off. Um, now, here you got a warhead that's traveling about 18,000 miles an hour, and you got an object that's just flying circles around it. Yeah. So, uh, Mansman says, okay, Bob, what was that? And Jacob says, well, sir, I think we've got a UFO. And they went through, watched the film again. The two guys got up, uh, had Mansman take the film off and put it on a pouch. And they left saying, um, this, uh, you're never to speak of this again. This is highly classified. They left, uh, never said who they were, or maybe they did to Manson. I don't know, they didn't to Jacobs. He assumed they were CIA. But uh, they left, and Manson again said, Bob, this is really uh, sticky stuff. Don't mention it to anybody, because if you do, I'm afraid you'll get into real, real trouble. So for 18 years, he didn't speak of it. He left the Air Force, uh, went back to school, got his doctor's degree, and is now teaching at, I think it's Bradley University. Uh, teaching uh, communications. Uh, but anyway, uh, he came out of the closet about 18 years after this happened. And um, at first, Mansman said he didn't know what Bob was talking about. But after a short period of time, he backed off of that statement and agreed that what Bob Jacobs had said uh, was in fact true. And he verified that that 
that happened. Um, I, I can't remember right offhand how um, um, Jacobs felt it was uh, okay or how he got by with um, breaking his uh, security code. Maybe it been declassified. I don't know. But anyway, that's what happened. So um, in, um, in a nutshell, uh, that's the story. And uh, I think it's, it's, it certainly shows the interest that these objects, whatever they are, have a deep interest in our nuclear uh, weapons and nuclear facilities. Yeah. If I, if I remember correctly, um, it was after 18 years, and he, he said he was just kind of thinking about it. And he was like, technically, they never gave it a classification. They just said, don't ever speak of this again. And he was, you know, he was, I think he said, like, admittedly being a bit of a smartass, he was like, that's not classified. Like, you can't just say, don't speak of it again. So he felt free to speak of it again. And yeah, he didn't sign any yeah, uh, yeah, confidentiality yeah. agreement. Yeah, so 18 years. It was nothing years, like yeah. that. So 18 years later, he was like, you know what? I, th I think I can speak of this. And after the, the two civilian closed men left, Mansman said to him, years, years in the future, if anyone ever asks you about this, you are to say it was uh, laser strikes, laser tracking strikes. And he said, you got to remember, 1964, he goes, we didn't have laser tracking strikes. We didn't have laser strikes. Lasers were a novelty that existed only inside laboratories and took up whole buildings like early computers he was like this that wasn't a you know it'd be one thing if someone said that in 2020 you'd be like sure okay lasers but you gotta remember this was this was 56 years ago this was in 64 i believe and yeah it's and now it, now it makes sense it makes sense that that they would be it makes sense that that these that these crafts would be or these beings or these races would as i said before would be interested in our nuclear capabilities and it also makes sense that our most upper echelons military elite would be interested in their interest because if we know that if we shoot an icbm warhead or dummy warhead it's going to be knocked out of space with something that apparently is just no pun intended light years ahead of us because this thing's going 18,000 miles an hour at 60 miles straight up and this you know he said this he described if you looked at it it looked like the missile was still because this thing was just zipping around it like it was nothing right but the whole right. thing is just moving at cataclysmic speeds I don't think that's the right word but you get the point we got to think about the implications of that that means that there is a power a craft a technology that can literally and figuratively run circles around our most lethal uh, physical manifestation of sovereignty, right? A hypersonic missile that goes into orbit and can put a multi-megaton warhead in your city. If we know that these are going to be knocked out of the sky like a, just like a toy, it is highly, a, number one, we're interested in what's able to do that, but number two... Okay, it's one thing if that happens, but we can't let anybody know that that happens because our power comes from the perception of our power, right? It's like 
It's like, what if the Secret Service didn't have any bullets for whatever reason? That would not be good to protect the president. And, you know, let's say they're in downtown New York and none of the guys have bullets in their guns. Okay, number one, that's bad. But number two, you're not going to let anybody know <laughs> that you don't have bullets in your guns, right? You're going to hold your rifles up and just hope no one calls your bluff. So it makes sense that we would want to keep that highly, highly secret. Because what do we know? We know that we are essentially impotent, right? What do you think? Right. Yeah, I am. Uh... There's a lot of ways to look at this uh, this particular subject. Uh, that is uh, UFOs and, and nukes. Um, it's first of all, I I think it's clear that they're trying to demonstrate to us what they can do. Okay. Uh, they can shoot that warhead out of the sky at at will. Yeah. They have. Um, can show in the case that's coming up that we'll talk about later that they can shut down our missiles. They have the ability before they even launch to shut them down. Um, so I think they're sending a message. You know what it is? Wh whoever they are are sending a message that uh, you people down there that are that are engaged in tribal warfare, uh, we're not going to let that happen, or something to that uh, to that effect. Now, are they worried about us, or are they worried about them? That's another question. Because if we destroy the Earth, and that disrupts the solar system, uh, it could be it could be very bad for other people other other beings yeah. uh in other places so you these are all questions we don't know we can only speculate but i think that uh i think that be really beyond any doubt that i have they're sending us a message and why they're so concerned um we can only speculate on but it's it's uh, it's worrisome i was gonna say you know what it is on your first day in prison you find the biggest guy and you go punch him in the face right and that's to show that you're in charge so they found not me, <laughs> not me. yeah no i would no i'd be a i'd be a prison bitch but so what are they doing they're coming down here they're finding the most powerful nation on earth then they're going to the, the most powerful nation on Earth's most powerful weapon system. And they're knocking it out of the sky. Knocking it out of the sky while we're recording it. Just to, it's, you know, they're just saying, hey, you know, you know, I'm, I'm your daddy. That's what they're saying. We can do it. We can do it. And then so that, yeah. So I have I have two I have two notes on that and it's yes. Yeah, so what is that? I mean, amongst all the questions that arises, there are two important ones. Are we a threat to them, in the sense that you want to wipe something out before it gets bad? So maybe, you know, we don't wait until there are nuclear missiles on Cuba. We or we see that they're there and we address it immediately. 
barricade embargo. We send all these troops down to Florida and Georgia, Cuban Missile Crisis, and we're like, hey, we're dealing with this thing now. Because if we don't, this thing's going to grow and grow and grow until it's a legitimate threat to us. So the question is, are they coming down and going, you guys aren't a threat to us now, but on a if we just let this keep going for decades and centuries, you will be a threat? Maybe, or maybe they just don't want us to kill ourselves. And then the second is, and I forget who I saw this. It was some, it was some nuclear. Uh, it was a guy that was charged with. Um, he was responsible for transporting nuclear weapons in the United States. He's in uh, the film Unacknowledged by Stephen Greer, and uh, all about the UFO issue. And the guy says he goes, you know, one thing we don't really think about is like, you know. Just because we haven't discovered a field of science doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? You know, our DNA has been replicating, you know, George Washington didn't know about it, but his cells are still dividing. Just because he didn't know didn't mean it wasn't happening. Our nuclear weapons, they might be, they might have effects in other dimensions. So we might be proverbially destroying another dimension, but not even know it. And I know that's a bit of a stretch, but I think that's an interesting, like, we don't think anything of it, right? It's like if we were all blind and throwing water balloons at each other, we, to us, would be like, haha, you're wet, not knowing that we're soaking the living room. Like, we might be destroying someone else's dimension. And that's a bit of a stretch, I know, but... Anything's possible. Anything, yeah. Anything. Absolutely. absolutely. Because we don't know. Exactly. We don't know, we don't, unknown unknowns, Rumsfeld, right? 2003, Donald Rumsfeld, unknown unknowns. Well, maybe some people know. Some few people know. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we don't know. Yeah. And I have spoken with high-level people in the government, military officers, general officers, in one case, a four-star. Jeez. And he said... Larry, I don't know. I've heard the stories, but I don't know. This is a four-star general, Air Force general. And he said, uh, I'd love to know, but I don't have the need to know, so I, I, I can't answer. Now, there was another one, three star, that a friend of mine who uh, was in the Air Force, was a bird colonel, and uh, he was going to put me in touch with this three-star who was uh, at NORAD. He was one mm-hmm. of the uh, top-level guys at NORAD sure. uh, before he retired. And uh, my friend tried to get me in touch with him, set up a conference call. And he wouldn't have anything to do with me. He didn't want to talk to me at all. So you got to believe he knew being at the upper tier at NORAD and uh, uh, whatever mountain that is. Cheyenne Mountain. Cheyenne Mountain, yeah. And uh, so uh, he didn't want to talk to me. So you got to think he knew. Yeah. He knew some stuff. Yeah. But... uh, and even he probably didn't know. Uh, obviously, NORAD was seeing objects. Yeah. These objects 
coming and going Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. And uh, whether the top brass knew what they were, somebody did. Some few people know more. But uh, you, just, you don't know. Everything's compartmentalized. Yeah. And who knows what? And you, you know, two people, two scientists may be working in offices next to each other, and they will be working on the subject. One of them will be working on one part. One will be working on the other part. And neither one knows what the other is doing. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, that's the way it works. That's just, that's just, that's, that's standard operating procedure for, yeah. for that stuff. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, the, as far as, uh, nuclear goes, I think that, uh, um, it, it could be, <laughs> these people could be our ancestors they could be these beings could be our ancestors and they could be have been monitoring our progress uh from beyond before biblical uh, before beyond biblical yeah times. ancient dinosaurs yeah yeah um so uh, you know that's speculation, but there's good reason uh, to believe it. Uh, History Channel certainly made a uh, well a lot of money out of uh, their <laughs> ancient aliens program. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, Christopher Columbus wrote in his journal that he saw flying saucers. That's right. I mean, what you know, at, at least in like at least from 1903 forward, you could just argue that maybe it was a craft because we had. We had mastered, mastered, but we had achieved heavier than air or heavier, yeah, heavier than air flight. Why would Christopher Columbus say that? Like, what, what, but before I get ahead of myself, I was going to say, yeah, NORAD, uh, NORAD's a bit of a, a, a side project, passion, interest of mine. I geek out on it. I love, there's a great documentary from uh, the History Channel that I've watched a thousand times, but it's, um, I mean, even back in the in the '60s and '70s, and this it sounds like an absurd statistic. It sounds like I'm like I got it wrong, or it sounds like hyperbole. But no, it's they were tasked with they 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 monitor everything from just above ground level, like treetop level, to uh, twenty three thousand five hundred miles out. All of that. Well, if you do, and they said this, in the, and they do it in the documentary, if the, if you do the math, it's twenty seven trillion cubic miles, and that sounds like an absurd. Like I got it right. That sounds like a little kid. How much money do you want? I'm twenty seven trillion dollars. Right? It sounds like just something like a, a five year old would say. But uh, the point of me saying that is they monitor twenty seven trillion cubic miles, everything from a Cessna to a you know, one of our keyhole or Corona satellites back in the day. Someone is seeing this. Why wouldn't they? And it's, you're right, compartmentalized, but someone somewhere is seeing this. Because I don't think these, I think if these, if these crafts didn't want to be seen, they could not be seen. I don't think it's an accident that we see them. I don't think they come down here and then it's like, oh no, the human saw us and they fly away. If these things are as advanced as they are, they could be invisible to all of our radar, all of our detection devices. I think they want to be seen. That being said, 
or on that note, I think that we absolutely, we've got to have satellite photos of them, radar photos of them. You know, if NORAD's detecting this stuff, why wouldn't they? I'm sure they have a whole department of that where it's just a special access program and only a couple people know. But why wouldn't you? Well, they would. They do. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah. But uh, uh, NORAD <clears throat> probably has pictures going back, I don't know, almost since the inception of NORAD. Yeah. Uh, and to a little bit off the subject, I can understand, and I think you can too, most anybody is, if these things exist, which they do exist, we know they exist, uh, it would be very, it would be, it, it is and would be very difficult for the government to acknowledge that these objects can fly in our sovereign airspace and we can't do a damn thing about it. Nothing. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, in the, uh, early 50s i guess it was or late 40s uh order went out to shoot them down that didn't work out well for us at all no not at all we lost a lot of planes and pilots trying to do that so i'm hey you know by 1952 in the great washington merry-go-round yeah that one pilot that was involved in that and had all these objects come in and converge on him and he's hysterical hollering back what should I do what should I do he didn't want to fire at him yeah um then that's you know I'm getting off the subject here but then there was um uh, uh the name escapes me right now pilot he was a F-86 pilot in England who chased the uh they, they said he was chasing they a planet. They set him up. That, that was a large, large UFO. Yeah. Just hovering over the English countryside, moving a little bit, then hovering. And uh, Tories, Milton Tories yeah. yep. was his name, the pilot's name. And uh, he was sent up. And he closed and uh, got within 15 miles of the... Uh, of the object and he had I forget how many rockets he had on his plane or something like 20 yeah some you know some and uh, he closed in on the object within firing range I think his radar went out he could see about 15 miles yeah his radar yeah. would uh, pick up about 15 miles. When he got into that range, the radar, his radar picked it up, and he said it was enormous. Yeah. And uh, the uh, tower, whomever, said, your orders ought to fire on it. Fire all of your rockets at it. And, man, that scared him to death because he knew that when he did that, that was his death sentence. Yeah. Um, but before he could do that, the object just shot away. was yep. gone. Yeah. So um, they can not only, uh, they not only hear us, uh, 
but they uh, they can anticipate what we're going to do. Which I think is a very interesting. I don't know, I've thought about this before. And yeah, Milton Torres. Yeah, the the craft was again. We see had the radar cross section the size of an aircraft carrier, which is a recurring theme. Over, over different continents and different decades it's always this thing had the size of an aircraft carrier and when it flew away from them their radars that maxed well one when he approached it he said it was the best lock on he ever had and it locked on exactly at 15 miles which was also the maximum lock on range for his radar so this thing just yeah. burned right there he said it was almost burned onto the screen and when it took off I think his it's not in your book but I've looked up his his uh his story and one of the lines I've seen him say is it took off like a spark from a grinding wheel and I think their radar said it went 10 it was something 0 to 10,000 miles per hour almost instantly which is insane this thing just whoosh, gone but yeah he was ordered to shoot on it and that's like Larry that that's like if, if me and Larry are hanging out and there's a it's a big object over on a hill, and Larry says, "Go check it out, Tommy." So I walk over, and I've got a slingshot with a pebble, and it's a and it's a rhinoceros. And you go, "All right, shoot your pebble at it." I mean, that's a death sentence, right? Yeah. That's, that's a death. I'm like, "Thanks, man, I'm dead." But yeah, that's a that's that's an odd it's an odd one, but it again, and I think the question is begged is. Why would they have? Why would it be ordered to shoot at? They're not just military officials. Aren't going to just have this guy fire twenty rockets in the middle of the English countryside, right? It, they rescinded that order pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, by pretty quickly within a year or so, because they were losing aircraft. Now, apparently, back in the forties, late forties, after post World War Two. They were able, they did shoot down uh, a couple of these objects. Um, but they were what I would consider just scope objects um, that did have some beings in them. Um, but it's my belief, based on what I've read and the research I've done, that these beings were probably engineered beings. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't the living, or they were probably living, but they were engineered beings that was part of the craft. Yeah. And uh, the ability for us to, to shoot these things down, um, I think soon, soon ended. They, that was that issue was resolved with whoever these beings are. Um, but I think they were just simply small craft that were, that was coming here like we send probes to the moon and to Mars Absolutely. and to Venus. Absolutely. Uh, so um, the, uh, the big, the big boys, uh, I don't think anybody's going to shoot those down. No, and I'll make a note so I don't forget. Um, one, I was going to say uh, anticipation. So 
If you listen to Commander Fravor's interview on Joe Rogan as well as on Lex Friedman, he was the Air Force pilot who chased a UFO yeah. Tic Tac off the U.S. Nimitz in 2004. Great story. Two great episodes on that. You should go watch them, Lex Friedman on, and Joe Rogan. You know, is But one thing he mentions twice, and I've always – this is the one thing that stuck out to me more than anything. Isn't the craft, isn't the hovering, isn't the – you know, it's a tic tac with no with no fins, no wings, no propulsion device, no cockpit. Sure, that's all fantastic, but once you get into the UFO realm, I mean that becomes that becomes a uh, par for the course, right? Yeah, sure, that's you know super fast, zero to ten thousand miles an hour. They can hover, they disappear into space. Sure. The one thing that got me was Commander Fravor said that they had something called a cap point, C A P, and I forget what the acronym is, but it's basically where they would do their training. And no one knows what the cap point is aside from the the people relaying it to them from the aircraft carrier, and I could be butchering this, and, and the pilots. And no one knows about that, all right? So let's just, okay, so we have that. So let's say we have the aircraft carrier. Let's say the pilots are over here, and the cap point is, we'll just call it X, and it's about, whatever, 100 miles to the right. When they were chasing the Tic Tac, the Tic Tac disappeared, went over the horizon. And they no longer knew where it was. Okay? So it's gone. While this is happening, the Spy-1 radar system is monitoring this whole massive... I mean, I tried to get a guy to tell me about it. I had on episode 5, I had on a radar operator, and he wouldn't tell me about the parameters of this thing. But it can see everything. So they're monitoring this whole bubble around this whole strike group. Okay, so now keep that in the back of your mind. They're just recording this thing, right? It's like if you just had security cameras. You're just recording the whole grounds. Well, once they realize that this thing's gone, it's kind of just like, all right, well, let's get back to work. You know, we're doing training. So they say, why don't you go to your cap point? All right, sure. So they go there. They then, the guys on the ship then contact Fravor and co. And say this thing is at your cap point and when i first heard that you know it didn't seem too wild you know sure it's 100 miles away and maybe it got there in a second but again when talking about ufos that's kind of par for the course yeah they can travel really fast you just that's kind of baseline but this is what fravor said and he never went into it more on joe rogan i don't know if he just didn't pick up on it but if rogan didn't pick up on it not fravor but fravor goes you got to think about that it was at our cap point before and because they're recording everything they can go back and look at it this thing was at their cap point before the people on the ship said why don't you go to your cap point so if you examine that that means it knew before it was said which implies either anticipation or and this is where it gets crazy some sort of time travel Maybe just a couple seconds of time travel. Maybe it doesn't mean they're from the future. It just means that they can look ahead five seconds. But that's what it implies. If I say, Larry, you and I have a secret meeting place, and that secret meeting place is Walmart. And at 5.05 p.m., I say, all right, Larry, I'll meet you at Walmart. But then we go look at a security camera later, and at 5.04 p.m., there was a UFO at Walmart waiting for us. That means it can look ahead a minute into the future. And this isn't me. This is Commander Fravor, a respected uh, Air Force pilot who, by the way, was tasked with patrolling the skies above Los Angeles on September 11th. So he was pretty high up there. 
that's those are his words to me that is that's beyond just fast technology oh it can go a mock mock 100 none of that matters if you can look 60 seconds into the future i mean that is yeah. that that's god tier technology well, it's, it's it's very similar thing that happened to uh, in Iran uh-huh. with uh, with uh, Paris Jafar. I can't think of the uh, Iranian uh, pa- par- general's name. Huh? Par- Paris Jafar. Yeah, Jafar. Yeah, yeah, Paris Jafar. Yeah, and it, when he got ready to fire, he was locked onto it and was ready, to- getting ready to push the trigger. All of his instruments, everything went out. All of the the ability to fire his, his weapons, everything. He was able, still had control of his craft because he made a quick turn and got the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, but then his all of this stuff came back on again. He was able to do whatever he wanted to do. But it was... Um, Obviously, something mental is going on with yes. these beings. Yes, that they can read our thoughts. Yes, can read the thoughts. Yes. Now, I it it does sound far fetched, but these are the but, facts. Um, these are the look, facts. It's just all you got to do. You know, you you talk about people say, well. Oh, how could they be that advanced? Look where we've come. Yeah. In the last hundred years. Yeah. If these beings are 50,000 years, a hundred thousand years, a million years more advanced. It's just, yeah. Then what they can do and what they are. And it's, it's just unimaginable. Uh, everything that we know, all of our yeah. laws of physics, everything, yeah, is is gone. Yeah, that's why so many scientists uh, don't want to get into the subject, and they're afraid of the subject because of everything they've taught, been taught, and everything they're teaching would be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, it's you know they don't want that, yeah. and uh, I guess I can understand it. Sure, I yeah. Uh, but um, the fact is, you got to accept things as they really are. Yeah. You can't bury your head in, yeah. a, in the sand like an ostrich. Yeah. Uh, because you don't want it to be. Yeah. It's, but, you know, it's, it's like doing research, right? I, I did toxicology research in college. Stupid, mind-numbing, but I did it, right, to get into med school. But, you know, one of the things you kind of the basis you learn is that you make your observations and then you build your model on that observation. You don't try to fit observations into your model because that's not research. You are now trying to force a narrative. Yeah. If 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 we see something and it goes, well, that went faster than light, we can't say, well, you know, there's no such thing as faster than light. No, that means our model is incorrect. Well, time travel, that that means that if they went to the cap point a minute before, that implies time travel, and that's impossible. No, that just means what what we deem possible and impossible is flawed. It's not accurate. And further, yeah, 
I mean, it's one thing if you're a hundred. It's one thing if you're. I mean, what we're probably what twenty, thirty years ahead of what? what let's say it's England or China. You know, I'd like to think that we probably have like a twenty-year heads up on some technology. Maybe not. Let's say ten years. But even that is a massive advantage. What if you're a hundred years? What if we? What if we declared war on um, on on nineteen twenty Germany, right? Or let's say 2014 America declares war on 2014, the Wehrmacht army. I mean, an F-22 against their balloons, you know, an M1 Abrams tank versus their trenches, forward air support? Are you kidding me? It's, it's not even, we could end it in a day with zero casualties. Probably have fun while we're doing it. Put on some bulletproof vests and just walk around with thermal vision. They would, they would think that you're gods. If there's fog and you're pinpointing them and getting headshots, to us, we're just like, oh, yeah, no, that's just – we're just using an infrared scope. To them, they're like, these are demons who can see everything we do. And so you got to think, if you're 100 years, if you're 1,000 years, I mean, what did Arthur C. Clarke say? Any, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Or J.B.S. Haldane said not only is the world stranger than you suppose it's stranger than you can suppose i mean we are i mean we are dealing with things that are just you have to keep your mind open because and it, you know it'd be one thing if it was just you and i sitting here making random claims because that's you know that's an easy blank check to say whatever you want oh it's god tier technology but this is these are from these are from uh decorated pilots and generals and it's yeah um, science is growing so fast. It's it's a snowball mm-hmm. uh, effect. It's it's growing faster and faster and faster. You buy a computer today, and it's going to be outdated. This one. Uh, in in a month or two. A year. This is a 2019 MacBook. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty behind. Um, uh, cell phones, yeah, uh, smartphones that uh, you know. My parents could not believe what we've got today. Yeah, that this this little gadget right here uh, has more power. Yeah, has more power than the computers in the space shuttle. Yeah are certainly more power than the computers in the uh, Saturn V. Oh, yeah. Uh, when we went to the moon. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's moving faster and faster and faster. So <clears throat> if you think where we were in 1900 mm-hmm. or uh, 1920 and where we are now, especially in electronics uh, of course everybody used to say uh, by the time uh, 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 1980 1990 gets here everybody's going to be flying around in little jet powered yeah. uh, vehicles and uh, cars will be uh, won't, they'll be replaced by uh, other means of transportation well that hasn't happened we're still primarily uh using the internal uh, combustion engine much better than it was 
back then, but we're still there. But that's going to change you shortly too. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to, we at some point we're going to give up on uh, uh, fossil fuels. Yeah. And uh, and we're seeing that happening. Yeah. Uh, now. Uh, with electric automobiles, yeah, and uh, even some of the exotics now, the million-dollar exotics are are going to electric. Yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off yeah. the subject. It's it's uh, it's un- it, it it is interesting to think about where we will be another hundred years from now. Yeah, and the acceleration. So what's in the future what we'll find in the future is uh, will be amazing I won't see it but uh, it's things are moving so fast that uh, uh, the one thing I regret is I'm going to miss a lot of it a lot that I'd like to see nonsense Larry you're going to live to your 500 and so am I we're going to be doing podcasts in a hundred years but it's nah. you. You were. I mean, you said it though, right? Because think about what's happened between 1920 and now. It's not only that. It's it's the rate of acceleration. It's not the same as what happened between 1820 and 1920. It's the acceleration is. I mean, Ray Kurzweil. His uh, the singularity is near. It's a great book from the 90s, I think. You know, Moore's law, exponential tech or exponential growth. It's the it's the hockey stick. It's going faster and faster and faster. So. I mean, even if they were only a thousand years ahead, we wouldn't be able to, to compare them. And an analogy I used uh, talking with a friend of mine who loves UFOs, she and I were talking and I thought of, I thought of this, and I'll, I'll do this analogy and then we'll jump on to Vandenberg or no, uh, to Maelstrom. But I was thinking like, you know, those like uncontacted tribes, you ever seen those? They're mm-hmm. like you know, South Pacific Island for everyone listening. They're there are tribes yeah. of people and like I don't think maybe in the Amazon but sometimes they find them in islands out in like the middle of the ocean and they're uncontacted meaning they have no they don't know about the rest of the world they live on their little island and that is I mean they are at like prehistoric levels loincloths basic fires mud huts maybe but it is it is primitive man and when we go there and they have no idea about the world that they don't know about Skype and Zoom and and glasses and iPhones and the news and they just live there. And whenever we go near them, not only they they throw spears at helicopters, they shoot arrows. One guy went there, one white guy went there with a Bible and tried to convert him and I think they killed him. I mean, what a moron. But point is is you got to think from their perspective. So we see it and we're like, oh, that's crazy. Wow, an uncontacted tribe. Imagine that. You know, what a crazy thing. And then yeah, and then he kind of goes out your ear and you're like, whatever, who's, you know, what football teams are playing tonight, right? But you got to think of it from their standpoint, all right? They, you see a helicopter, all right? So just put your mind, your, you in their mind. There's a helicopter. They don't know what a helicopter is. So what are, what, what are they going to see? What is their uh, empirical data going to be? There is a thundering noise. It's a repetitive thundering noise. Okay, so it's a steady beat. They don't have anything that can make a steady beat like that. Here it comes. It's a black thing on the horizon. It's coming closer. It probably looks like a demon, right? Think of like a black hawk. All black, loud as hell. 
and it's there's rotor wash. It's blowing all the ocean water out. It's sitting right there above the water. I mean, so it's not a bird because it's not standing still. Like birds don't stand still like that. This thing's standing still. It's massive. It's the size of a city bus. They've never seen glass before. So what is that? What's that? What's that windshield? That there's a shiny clear barrier. Okay. It's got wheels on the bottom of it. They don't have wheels. This whole thing, this isn't a natural form, right? This is made by ore, smelting, melting, forming the panels on the side of it. They have, they're not in the Iron Age yet. So this thing has got a smooth black fuselage or a cabin or whatever it is, right? It's long. It's got lights on it. They don't know anything hanging off of it. If they do see someone hanging off on it, they see a person. To them, that probably looks like a giant bird holding on to a person. So they, they don't even know that they're controlling it. And what if there's a glare in the cockpit and they can't see the people inside? So they don't even know that there's people inside. This is just a demon just, just right above there. Think of how insane that is to them. And now imagine if one tribe member, tribe member Tommy sees it, and I go back to you, tribe member Larry, and we're both standing there in our stupid loincloths with face paint and dirty fingernails. And I come back to you, and not only was that the craziest thing I see, but I come to you, and I try to tell you about it. But I don't have words. to. I don't say, hey, this thing had a glass cockpit. We don't have those words. So I come to you, and I go... There's this thing in the front was shiny and it was smooth and it was the loudest thing I've ever heard. It was the size of a rock, a big rock, and it's right above the water and it was kicking water up and it just stared at me. You're going to look at me and say, you're high. So put that in 2020 and you see a flying saucer the size of a city block, silent, and then it takes off like a spark off a grinding wheel. What the hell are you going to think? But we know for a fact you can go watch videos of them looking at uncontacted tribes. And what do the uncontacted tribes do? They freak out and they throw rocks, spears, and arrows at it. What do we do? We fire our missiles at it. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what we do. So we can see this, this thing repeating itself, this pattern. So if you can literally go watch on YouTube, you can pause this podcast and go watch on YouTube, Amazonian Uncontacted Tribes. Why in the world could that extraordinary thing, why not just happen again? Aliens looking at us. They come to us and go, an uncontacted planet. They don't know anything about the galactic neighborhood. Wow. That could be us. Well, they certainly know all about us. But no, we don't know about them is what I mean. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, you, the example you were making, during the Second World War, I mean, I'm sure you know this, that when we would take an island, one of these islands, and it had these primitive tribes on it that had never seen yeah. white man. Yeah. And, and our machines... We came down, would go to these islands and come down out of the sky. And they thought we were gods from heaven yeah. or somewhere. Yeah. That we were <laughs> were gods and from heaven. Then after they got a little used to us. Now, I don't know if there was some initial fighting with bows and arrows or not. 
put all our soldiers there <laughs> had weapons. They really didn't have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, we were moving uh, whole corps in. Uh, but anyway, after they got used to us, used to these guards from the sky, we'd start bringing uh, supplies, aircraft in that was loaded down with rations for them, food yep, yep, and all this yep, sort of yep, stuff. Yep. And so to them, the gods from heaven yeah. were bringing them food and, and Manna. stuff. Yeah. You know, then when the war was over and we left, they couldn't figure where we'd gone. So they paid... Uh, this was on television. Yeah, no, I know exactly. I, I don't what, know. I know exactly what you're talking about. They made a. Um, they made effigies in the shape made of a cargo planes, airplane, or something yep, out of yep, in their church. leaves, and hoping that we, that the gods would see it and they'd come back. They yeah. were trying to get us to come back and bring them more stuff. Yeah, no, there's. I know exactly. Yeah, there's stories of that, and there's stories of sometimes they, and it gets even crazier. Sometimes. Sometimes we would drop supplies on islands that we didn't mean to. So they didn't even see the white men. We just accidentally dropped supplies on an island and some Air Force guy got his ass chewed out and whatever. But you got to think of it from these tribesmen. This thing comes out of the sky, a massive plane. This thing comes out. What the hell is this? They open it up and there's Zippo lighters. There's clean water. There's matches. There's clothes and blankets and, and, and food. The best food they've ever tasted. That's a god. That is a god in the shape of a, a really big bird. So they started, yeah, decades after the war, they would find these like little huts they had, like their place of worship. And they had effigies made out of mud and sticks and in the shape of World War II cargo planes because they were just, the gods are there. How do we get the gods yeah. back? We need to make an offering. Well, and you go back and you think pre-biblical times yeah. if Ezekiel's wheel our ancestors if the story of Adam and Eve the garden mm-hmm. of Eden mm-hmm. has some I don't want to say some truth to it but it is it is it it, it happened probably not in the way that it's written that it happened but it was it happened Mm -hmm. and um, these uh, beings that came down uh, probably initially planted life here sure absolutely and and that's where it came from this stuff of us rising up from uh, amoebas swimming in pools of water I think it's a bunch of bunk I think that you go back and you look I mean we know too much about archaeology now and what's going on in the world what we see in ancient ruins uh, we cannot duplicate today oh I know you've got, I know you've got stones that are carved out stones that we don't have the ability yeah. today to lift them. Yeah, yeah. Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, they are on Joe Rogan a lot. 
that's their whole thing is they go back and they're like there are these rocks that we couldn't place these with 2020 technology no it's insane no. yeah they said rocks fit so tightly together you can't put a credit card in but, but yeah look at Puma Boom K yeah uh, Gobekli Tepe they're all they're insane I can't huh I said they're it's, in- uh, what were you saying? It was uh, Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe, right? Yeah, Gobekli Tepe. Uh, same sort of thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, so they just—you can say that it took ten thousand people uh, to move these stones, but that's absurd. Yeah. It's, it's it's ridiculous. How did they carve them? Yeah. How did they make them fit so perfectly? How did they bring them from the quarry five hundred miles away? Yeah. I mean, what the hell? That's I honest. That's one thing I look, think of is like, is like if you wanted to leave a message that like, you, like you were. I'm trying to think of an analogy. Like, what would? Okay, because at first glance, right, it's just a. Let's just say it's a. We'll say it's a pyramid. Whatever. Okay, sure, big pyramid. You know, you would admit, you think, okay, sure, some egotistical pharaoh. He's like, hey, I'm gonna build this thing to me. All right. But as time goes on and you start to realize it's aligned with Orion's belt in a certain way, or these these structures that are aligned perfectly on the north-south axis and they have uh, significant importance when you put on latitude and longitude and the way these things are made. And then there's some of them are built that if you like examine it, they actually represent mathematical theorems like E or pi or the Fibonacci sequence. You have to start looking at it and go, okay, this rock is 10,000 years old, but it is representing scientific data and mathematical laws that we didn't discover until the 17 and 1800s. So there's a sort of like, you know, it's like if you discovered a pyramid and then inside there's some cement and you opened it up and it said uh, like Bob was here. You know, like finger painting in the cement. Yeah. And you'd be like, but what the modern cement didn't exist that time. Well, at some point you got to go, well, maybe this wasn't a modern, maybe this was, this was a modern man 2000 years ago. It's, I think it absolutely is. It's a way of, yeah, I think, I don't think our model of our past is, is what happened. I don't claim to know what it is, but I think there are too many holes being punched in it to say i mean who dr robert shock right he's he said that there's there's water erosion on the base of the sphinx but this there wasn't enough it had water erosion from several thousand years of raining but it hasn't rained in the nile since 8000 bc so it had to have been built by at least like 12000 bc which just throws the entire model off right it's we yeah. we are getting way off the realm of ufos <laughs> but yeah i know Larry, I'm gonna I'm, I'm I'm gonna use the restroom. I don't know if you need to use the restroom, but let's come back and uh, jump onto Maelstrom mm-hmm. Air Force Base. I'm fine. You're fine. Everything's well, fine. Well, you, yeah, you have a better bladder than Can I. You hear me all right? I just got a message at my external microphone switched off. I can hear you just you fine. You still hear me I can okay? Hear you just fine. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, Larry. Tell oh, the, yeah. Tell the good people where they can find your book. All right. Uh, the book is available um, at uh, well uh, Amazon 
is uh, is the primary. Uh, they carry it. Um, I don't know if it's still in hardcover, if they have it in hardcover like this, but the softcover uh, book has uh, uh, an afterword, uh, a three-chapter afterword in it uh, that covers some new information that was not available uh, at the time I wrote the uh, I wrote the original book. So uh, it may be it may actually be better to get the uh, uh, the soft cover, uh, which again is available from Amazon. Um, bookstores can order it. Uh, when it first came out, most of the bookstores had it, uh, but I think that's the case now. But they could order it for you. Uh, but Amazon is uh, is really pri- the primary uh, uh, best place to get it, I think, uh, as well as the other online bookstores. Uh, but anyway, uh, I uh, hope you'll enjoy it. Perfect. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. So we got Larry and I went way off topic. Clearly, ended up on pyramids and biblical times and Columbus and, but hey, that's how this podcast goes. So let's reel it back in to the center line, Larry, if you would. How about you give the people a good, a brief synopsis of Maelstrom Air Force Base, just as you did with Vandenberg. Maelstrom is another very, very interesting subject um, because it involves nuclear missiles. Um, This was uh, 1967, I believe. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was around 1967. And uh, uh, what happened is, um, well, the person that brought this out, brought, made this public, was uh, a captain at the time in the Air Force that was a launch officer at uh, an ICM base. And I think that base, I may be wrong, but I think that base was in, uh, near Minot, North Dakota. Uh, I may be wrong on that. But uh, anyway, Malstrom Air Force Base. And... Uh, as such, he was down in the uh, concrete underground, uh, 60 feet underground control center for this particular uh, array of nuclear missiles, 10 missiles, I believe. I think it was, I think they control uh, 10 missile silos. Uh, that was. Uh, I can't remember the company, but anyway, it's neither here nor there. Uh, the fellow's name is Robert Salas, and uh, I know Bob. Uh, we met. Uh, we met at uh, Roswell uh, during the uh, UFO festival, uh, where we were both speaking. Uh, and Bob's story is that he was below the. Uh, actual flight commander his boss was taking a nap and uh, uh, Bob was in control and command 
and he got a call from the surface is uh one of his guards on this on the surface and said uh captain we've got a strange object in the distance uh, that's glowing moving around erratically and uh, uh what should we do Sal said no what does it look like he said i can't tell it's just a round glob and Sal said well just keep an eye on it make sure it doesn't get near the near the uh, gates the enclosed area um so he hung up didn't think any more about it for a few minutes phone rang again again and the uh, guard was in a panic panic voice according to bob screaming that the thing was overhead they could see it clearly it's this glowing disc that was right overhead right over the the fenced-in compound and uh what are we going to do well bob said uh hold on a minute and he went to wake up his uh his co uh they have you know they in the capsule the underground capsule they had a little sleeping bunk there where people could nap on and <laughs> what have you anyway he went to wake him up and just at the time he was waking him up the klaxon went off sounded and uh bob ran back in the his uh i guess it was a major came with him and they looked and their missiles started going offline one after the other boom 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 now these missiles were i think i remember that they were spaced about a hundred miles apart uh now that name may not be accurate i can't remember the details of all of these things but um but I think that's about accurate. I mean, they weren't close together, and they were independently yes. operating. Yeah. Uh, they were fired from this control center, but they were all independent. They weren't tied in together in any way. Um, and so, boom, 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 boom. These uh, these missiles start going offline. No reason for it. No. We couldn't understand it. Never happened before. They may have a malfunction with one every now and then, but not all of them. Uh, one right after the other. So uh, after this happened, the object took off, left. They didn't see it anymore. Um, anyways, I recall the story goes that it was sometime later that I believe it was Oscar Company. Now, I don't know if that was Bob's company or it was another one, but there was another company that found out what had happened to Bob's unit, at Bob's unit, and let them know that the same thing had happened to them a week before. So you had two of these events, uh, one week, and then the following week, another group. Uh, 
uh, or Oscar group, Oscar command, whatever, um, which really sort of shook things up around there. But the end result was they had, they had, all of them, all the people present had to sign a uh, uh, non um, non disclosure act non whatever agreement. agreement yeah uh that they would not disclose anything about these incidents uh and i think that was i think the fine for talking about them about anything that you had to sign a non-disclosure agreement with uh could give you a ten thousand dollar fine in 10 years in leavenworth I believe that's correct. <laughs> In any case, a number of years passed, and uh, Bob told me that he said that I was looking, I was in a bookstore. He had retired from the Air Force. He worked. He didn't make a career in the Air Force. He worked in uh, some electronics field. But anyway, he's a graduate of the Air Force Academy. Um, and he was in a bookstore and it may be 15 18 years later and he happened to pick up um a book uh on uh, on ufos it was uh timothy good's book mm -hmm. on uh, i can't recall the name of the book it's one of timothy's first books um but anyway, he was thumbing through this book and he saw mention of his own uh, event in this book. So he contacts, uh, I forget right offhand who he contacted. I was originally thought he said he contacted an attorney, but I think this was, he contacted somebody involved in the in the ufo scene and they got i think in touch with an attorney who wrote a letter to the air force asking them if this event was still classified because it was noted in a book that had been published they got a letter back from the air force and said yes it is still classified top secret, but it needs to be declassified now because of the time that's that's elapsed. So it will be declassified, meaning Bob could go ahead and tell his story, uh, which he did. And that's how the story of the Maelstrom UFO event uh, came out. Um, there was also one other event that had a ufo that moved a concrete and i forget the weight of the concrete but it was something some fantastic weight mm -hmm. um well I, I, I don't know how many tons but it was a tremendous weight and it's a concrete lid mm -hmm. that was over the silo and that when before the missile was launched this concrete uh, lid would move on rails 
off of the top of the uh, silo before the missile, of course, launched. And a UFO, uh, it was reported, had actually moved one of these heavy, picked it up and moved it to another location. Um, all of this indicates is going back to what we were talking about earlier, that these beings, whatever they are, are trying to demonstrate to us what they can do, the power they have, and uh, their concern over uh, our use of, uh, of nuclear power. Um, so that's a that's a story in a nutshell. Both of these I cover in the book mm-hmm. in, in some detail. And uh, in both instances that we discussed, the, both Robert Jacobs at Vandenberg and uh, Bob Salas uh, gave me uh, a, a background on the event. And I put it in the book in their own words. So um, it's uh, it's covered very accurately. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the event, and I think it both of these events fit nicely with what we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that if whatever interest they have in us uh, seems to be a concern to them one way or another, whether it's a concern over our welfare or their welfare, I don't know, but they, there is, I think that without question, there's a, there's a concern there. Yeah. Um, and it's just not those two events and number of events that have occurred, um, that involved UFOs and nuclear weapons or nuclear power, uh, as well as nuclear power stations. Um, so um, it's it's a warning. Hopefully, whoever is handling this uh, these events and affairs and the UFO issue within the government. Uh, knows what's going on and is has limited our uh, nuclear power because I don't think at this point if we got into a nuclear conflict it would be the end of life on this planet as we know it uh, I don't think we could survive I mean we, yeah, we, there's no way we could be attacked without knowing the attack was coming and uh, the same is uh, is true with uh, whatever nation will want to uh, attack us so consequently what you'd have is missiles passing each other and you've got one side of the earth is demolished the other side of the earth is demolished and there you have it uh, uh, I guess I'm somewhat of a hawk but I'm not a hawk when it comes to nuclear weapons no. uh, 
you know, I, I think that we need to take care of our country, uh, but uh, not with nuclear weapons. No. Uh, no, nuclear weapons is the end of, I would definitely say I'm more hawkish as well, except with nuclear because there's no, you cannot win. There is absolutely no winning. No one wins. Even if you survive, what kind of a life is is living in a sterile bunker with artificial lighting and dried food for the next hundred generations? It's not. It is. Yeah. It is. It is an erasure of life. You can't. There's no winning. There's absolutely no winning. The bombs we dropped on on Hiroshima and Nagasaki are firecrackers compared to the weapons we have today. Oh yeah. And yeah, the, the numbers too. It's there's no you cannot win. It's I think that's one of the, one of the Soviet premiers said that when he got into office was when he was uh, briefed on when he was briefed on the extent of the Soviet arsenal. He said he couldn't sleep for three days because he just thought if we use these, it's it's the it's the end of civilization. We are going to be pre-Egypt. We're going to be excuse me, we're going to be back to sticks and stones. And then he said he had the realization that we can't use these. And anyone in charge of these deep down knows they'll never press the button. And he said once he realized that he slept like a baby. They are the ultimate deterrent but you can't use them. Because there's not, there is, Eisenhower knew that knew that's why he was so uh, hell-bent on on, on having a limited nuclear response because he said these aren't this isn't there's no post-nuclear world it's like there's none it's over the whole thing's over the earth is radiated it's charred everything's on fire the atmosphere we're going into a nuclear winter there, you cannot you cannot survive it'll be uninhabitable for the next 150,000 years yeah so it makes, that's right. Yeah, it makes sense. And it may have happened in the past. Exactly. That's the that's that's the thing is, is we might, we might be. They might have come and planted us here, a hundred thousand years ago, and they've done this a million times throughout all the galaxies. Nuclear annihilation might be, um, it might be. That might be like an accepted thing that just happens, right? Let's say you're a let's say you're a principal at like I don't know like a a school, and and one kid keeps getting in trouble for stealing staplers or something, right? Well, if you've been at that school for fifty years, and you've seen over the decades that when one when one boy is a shithead and he steals staplers, you always see that it leads to crime and a horrible life. So by fifty years later, you grabbing that kid with the stapler, and you're going, you got to cut it out now, and you you know you're gonna go. You're going to go do a year of, I don't know, Marine Corps. You're going to get straightened out. It might be that they've done this with so many civilizations that this is just a, you know, there's a protocol. Up, oh, they're doing the whole nuclear thing. So not, they come in and you know, they get you back into class. And they go, stop skipping class. Stop drinking. You're not, we're not letting you go end up as a criminal. It might be that simple where they're just like, hey, we've seen this enough times, right? And you get, you get one, you get one do-over. And we did it. We did Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it's like, all right, that was our lesson. And now they're watching, right? And eventually, yeah. and what do they do, right? You could say nuclear test ban treaty. I don't know. You really want to put the tinfoil hat on. Maybe we said it was a test ban treaty because all the leaders found out that, hey, we're not allowed to detonate these things. They're not letting us. So why don't we say that we're stopping? But it might be that you can't detonate something. 
who knows? Maybe it's just maybe the people at the very top know that there's we literally cannot detonate weapons. Maybe they've put some sort of embargo on each warhead. I don't I mean I'm now I'm just going way off into the weeds, but who knows if they're that advanced, right? If they're that yeah. advanced, if you were a if if we went to 1920 Germany, you could say that we could go up and like put a cement plug in each artillery piece. That's not sure we could do that. It would take a, you know, it would take some manpower and resources, but we could do it. Who's to say that some alien technology doesn't come down here and just put the uh, the metaphorical cement in the artillery tube? Maybe they've put a, 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 you know, just a force field around every warhead. And if you detonate it, cool, but the, the explosion is going to stay within a 10-foot sphere. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're just, they're like, hey, you can have them. But no, you know, you guys are grounded. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to shoot these off. Who knows? Maybe. And now I'm going way off and losing all credibility. Maybe we went to the moon and they're like, uh-uh. No, you guys, you clean up your nuclear act before you go to another celestial body. You got to fix that one first. Who knows? But now I'm just, now I'm just saying bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know either. Um, but I do think it's clear that they're giving us, they're sending us a message. And the message is, um, watch what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you don't, we're going to step in. Yeah. And I think that's why they are showing, they've shown so many times mm-hmm. that they can take over our nuclear weapons. Yeah. They can take over the Russian nuclear weapons. They can take over the Chinese nuclear weapons. Yeah. They can take over any country that has nuclear weapons. Yeah. I mean, take over the, the weapon itself yeah. and disable it or destroy it. Yeah. Uh, in the case of Maelstrom, um, the uh, the builder uh, of the rocket, which was Boeing, sent engineers out to see what the devil was going on. Because the, they all said, Boeing said, it can't happen. Yeah. This, it simply can't happen. But it did happen. So the engineers came out and what they found was there was some sort of uh, their guidance system had been attacked. Mm-hmm. And they and this is through I forget how many feet of reinforced concrete uh, through this into the silos. Um, and uh, the Boeing people found that the the guidance system had been attacked, and they surmised it was by some sort of electronic pulse mm-hmm. that did it. Uh, and what it <laughs> what that meant was that um, well they got them back online. They could get them back online. But what happened was when the pulse uh, destroyed the guidance system, uh, then the guidance system, because the guidance system was no longer operable, you know, if they launched it, if they were able to launch a missile with a defective guidance system, it could missile could be launched for Moscow and then end up in San Francisco. Yeah. So there's a safeguard. Yeah. 
that when the guidance system is not working perfectly, it would shut the missile down. Yeah. The missile could not be launched. Yeah. So that's that's what happened. Well, you know, you got to say that's a clear message. Yeah. That's. I mean, you don't have to be an Einstein to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. No. There it's sending us a message. So. Um, where it goes from there, I don't know. I hope somebody in our government does know. Um, maybe we're actually in communication with them, like some people thought that Eisenhower was. Uh, Which is my favorite. Some people think we signed a treaty with them. Well, um, uh, just who would think that a treaty... I mean, treaties we signed with other countries are not worth the paper they're written on. What good would a treaty be with somebody that's 500,000 years or more advanced with you and could wipe you in a heartbeat? That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's formality, right? Yeah, I guess. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of idiocy in this in this subject. And, sure. Uh, yeah. You gotta, uh, you gotta you wait. Just gotta use some common sense. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta use your brain because there's a lot of. It's the most interesting topic, but because of that, it also attracts the biggest lunatics. And I can't say maybe I'm one of them, so I can't, you know, I can't, I can't talk crap about them. But it's you gotta use your brain looking at it. But I mean, just purely from, purely from just examining our own behavior, right? The 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 helicopter to the the uncontacted tribe the right the uh, the dropping of supplies to the islands in the South Pacific it's it's we know that we, if we just look at our own patterns we can see how it's extrapolated and I don't think it's absurd at all to it makes perfect sense right it's I mean a pier over DC right there there's a sign of that's sending a message right we can fly over mm-hmm. DC July nineteen fifty two. We're gonna fly over DC. We're gonna right. This is where we are. You can watch us. I mean, where did they first show up? Right, allegedly Roswell, nineteen forty-seven. They showed up one hundred nineteen miles, and two years later, so July nineteen forty-five, we detonated the first A bomb in Alamogordo, New Mexico. July nineteen forty-seven, same month, two years later. How far away out of the entire planet? One hundred nineteen miles away in uh, in Roswell. That seems an awful lot like you're setting off pipe bombs with your friends and the cops drive by and shine a light, right? They're just they're looking, hey, what are you guys doing? And we're going, oh, shit, it's the cops, right? That's kind of what it seems like. And they're sending a message, and it does seem like it's not an overt do as we say, but it seems like a loose, you know, these are some parameters, and you guys can do whatever you want within those parameters, but you're not allowed to nuke each other. I don't think it's that far-fetched. Not at all. You know, I don't... I can't remember exactly who it was. It may have been Dr. Uh, Lincoln LaPaz, who was in New Mexico in the late 40s when all of this testing was going on. And he made the statement about UFOs that, uh, yeah, every time we conducted a test, a missile launch on atomic test here in the desert we knew they were going to show up yeah these objects were going to show up every time we had the test so we got to the point we didn't even pay any attention to them yeah 
Now, I don't know if that was LaPaz that said that, but it was one of the scientists out there. It wasn't Edward Teller, but it was one of the one of the scientists out there that, that made that statement, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, going back to uh, Cheyenne Mountain and uh, uh, the, you know, I mentioned this uh, three-star general. Hey, maybe it was just two-star, but anyway, he had a couple of stars on his shoulder uh, that didn't want to talk to me about anything. There was somebody said they were on a guided tour of the facility of NORAD inside the mountain. And I, as I recall, I, they were some officials, whether they were state officials or government officials, um, I don't remember. But um, they asked one of the whoever was in charge of the uh, the project there, who was ever in charge of the facility, uh, who was probably a general officer, about did they ever spot UFOs? And his reply was, well, sometimes we see things, but uh, we can always identify what they are. There's always a logical explanation to them. Then they had a sergeant taking them around through the facility, the the general or whatever. He didn't do it, but that was assigned to a sergeant. The same question was asked of him, and he said, oh, heck yeah. We see UFOs all the time. He said, that's almost a daily occurrence here. Uh, we log them, but it's, it just happens. It's, 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 a, it's a common occurrence. So uh, I don't know if he got in trouble for saying that or not, <laughs> but probably not. Uh, I think that the threat of um something being done to you is uh, is what's primarily used and I, I there may be going back some years they may be people that were wiped out uh, because of what they knew and what they wanted to disclose um, I wouldn't say that didn't happen um, but I don't think, that's the way now because uh, that would cause too much trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it you don't want to do something like that that's going to probably be exposed pretty quickly. Yeah, and I don't think those uh, those uh, tactics are employed. Yeah, um, you know, Bob Lazar said. Uh, his uh, car was shot at, tier, tires were shot out, uh, windows were broken, uh, somebody broke into his house. Um, but I think these were all not intended to to kill him. No, not at all. But to scare him. Let him know you're there. Yeah.
Just like um, just like the UFOs with nukes, they're just they're sending because them. you know if he because he became so public, yeah, so quick that if he got wiped out, yeah, it'd be obvious that would really not be good. Yeah, I mean that yeah. would cause a, a real real problem. So they, I don't think that that sort of stuff is done anymore. But there is um, intimidation, I'm sure. It still goes on. But let me say, that may be ending also. We may be seeing the dawning of a new... Uh, I think we've already started into some level of disclosure. Yeah, so do I. Um, and so we may see uh, a somewhat of a beginning of a turnaround. Um the government, I mean, whoever is in charge of this subject has got to know that sooner or later the truth is going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I, already it has come up, you know, um, anybody that tries to make a debunking statement about uh, Commander uh, Fever, 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 Fever. Uh, it's going to be pretty stupid because it's not going to work. The film is out. Um, the people that are talking about it have character, um, good standing. So it's you know it's a really the the beans have been spilled it's just somebody is going to start scooping them up yeah yeah that's what i think yeah you can't hold it forever it's it's it'll come out eventually you can hold it for a while but not forever well we have for 70 years it's been hell yeah the government has done hell one hell of a job absolutely in in uh keeping the lid on this um, they learned their lesson very early with Roswell and other things, and they've they've learned how to how to control it. And they've done it with disinformation, which has worked. Um, all sorts of things they've gotten very good at it. And like I think we've discussed before, uh, you cannot. Uh, you cannot keep secrets in the government that are political secrets. You can't do that because you've got opposing forces, especially today. You know, you've got uh, two uh, parties uh, and each one wants to kill the other. Yeah. You can't keep secrets in, in, in politics, yeah. but you can keep secrets involving national defense. Absolutely. You can do that, and you can do it. The government can do it very well, as well as the military-industrial complex. Yeah, they can do it probably even better than the government. Yeah, absolutely. Private company, private corporation, absolutely. Yes, yeah. it's, it's well, um, Larry. Let's wrap this one up, and um, we'll cover we'll cover another we'll cover another UFO. Uh, episode next well, we time. got we got plenty of uh, got, subjects to talk about we so. got yeah we got unlimited material we can do these forever and as well so, as, uh, 
we'll take a break uh, and uh, maybe get together again sometime after the first of the year or so when you've after you've had some of your who you got you got Nick Pope coming in Nick Pope early December and that's the only that's the only UFO Dr. Lynn could tie but that's not until February so I've only got one UFO on the on the horizon I was going to say we could meet up once more after Thanksgiving before Christmas if you want Okay, uh, you can let me know. I'd love to. I don't want to make you. I don't want to. I don't want to exhaust you. I would love to have you back on, man. No, we got. Uh, you know, there's too many subjects. I was thinking uh, before we started today that we ought to touch on the, uh, the RB47 event that was back in the. I guess that was the late '50s, early '60s. That you remember that event? RB-47 that was uh, doing a training flight over Gulf of Mexico and encountered a UFO and the UFO tracked it and they, they the RB-47 was a, um, had instruments in it. What they were doing was checking radar. They had all this high-tech instrument and high-tech for that time and they encountered a, a UFO and the UFO tracked them from the Gulf of Mexico over Louisiana. Then it made a sharp left turn and headed down, or maybe it was over, came in over Alabama. Then it headed over Louisiana, went into Texas, and it was tracked on a number of radars, ground-based radars. Um, and this went on for about an hour until the RB-47 turned and headed toward its base, wherever that was, to land. But that's a good subject to, to talk about. It's one, of the, it's one of the best because of the thing was tracked with their radio equipment, with their sophisticated equipment. So uh, it was tracked. The debunkers came out and said it was an airliner. But an airliner flying circles around this uh, RB forty seven. But anyway, you know. Okay, well, I'll uh, let's. I think we should start the next episode with that. What did you say? I think we should start the next episode with that. We can jump into yeah. RB forty seven. That's a good one. That's a good one. And uh, uh, so is the Phoenix Flight. So I you're going to have uh, Lynn Katai on. Yep, February. Yeah, and she's good. Yeah. Plus, she's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, you, you should ask her out. Ask her what? You should ask her out. Oh. Yeah. I think she's very happy. I'm sure she is, yeah. She's a, she's a doctor and her husband's a doctor. As yeah, I, I know, as yeah. I yeah, they're a power couple. Doctors. I guess she's giving them for practice. Yeah. And because I, I think she's in full-time investigating working on the phoenix light store good it's but it's good anyway one. yeah all right well let's let's wrap this one up i'll shoot you a text and um we can schedule the next one let's definitely do it let's let's, let's definitely do one more in 2020 and then we'll jump to next year and um, okay Tommy. well i'll uh, i'll wait to hear from you yes sir
Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's always a, I love talking about UFOs more than anything in the world. Always so, enjoy. So this I is always enjoy. So this is I'm a kid in a candy shop with you. I love it, <laughs> Mister Larry Holcomb, author of The Presidents and UFOs: A Secret History from FDR to Obama. It will be in the description and in the top comments. Available on Kindle. It's a great audiobook, great narrator, absolutely thrilling listen. And we barely we barely scratched the surface today. And it's a lot more grounded in science than uh, Larry and I going off on conspiracies about pyramids and and whatnot. So it's 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 awesome. I highly recommend it if you're interested in this field. And if you're not interested in this field, I highly recommend it. Open your mind. Just just entertain it. If you don't think it's true, that's fine. But you know, nothing wrong with opening your mind. Um, until then, Thanksgiving or Happy Thanksgiving, Larry. And to all the listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Same, same to you, Tammy. And uh, thanks again. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. It's always, As always. Always a pleasure. Stay safe, everybody. God bless America. Happy Thanksgiving. And keep an eye out for UFOs because they're real. 2020 is not over yet. All right, Larry. I'll see you, my man. So long. Bye-bye.